0: I tend to have a bit of a a rhythm in that week in between where Christmas and New Year's falls, where uh, the habit of, uh, I like to set my goals for the year. I like to be thinking ahead. Any goal setters or resolution type people, you call them whatever you want. I know some people are like, I avoid them at all costs and want nothing to do with them because two weeks in, I fail and I already feel like I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this. And I I tend to try to think about how do I measure if I'm accomplishing what I'm hoping to, either personally, financially, whatever. And measuring the goals is the hardest part, right? That's where I tend to get messed up. And there was a message that I had listened to, um, man, it was probably like two years ago. And as I was listening to it, it made me rethink how I plan my goals for the year and the preacher was a real jerk it was this guy named Jimmy and there's nothing more convicting I'll tell you and more awkward than when you begin to prep a sermon and write a message and you're doing this and you're thinking I don't think this is for anybody else but me and, and it, you know every year now I revisit this message myself to kind of feel the conviction And not just feel a conviction, but to rethink, how am I planning forward? What am I doing? And today, all I simply want to do is invite you in to that message again. And if you're thinking, oh, you're just going to preach a message you've already preached, it's like, listen, you forget and I forget what I said last week. It wouldn't matter. But the truth is, I need to be reminded of these things. I know the Apostle Paul writes to the churches all the time and says, I remind you of these things because we need reminding. I need reminding, and so I'm going to invite you now into this with me to say, hey, what was that about? And for some of you, this is going to be brand new. For others, you're like, wait, oh, I do remember this. It'll be a great reminder. One of the things that I've had to rethink is not asking what can I get done this year, but asking two other questions instead. And they're not very complicated. These are the questions that I now ask to start my year how can I grow in my love for God? And how can I grow in my love for people? How can I grow in my love for God and how can I grow in my love for people? All the other things that I have to think about during the year and that I want to accomplish, they're important, but I don't think any of them are as essential as these two questions. How can I grow in my love for God and how can I grow in my love for people? And, and growing is the hardest thing. Like, how do you measure if you're growing in love or not? It's very, very difficult. Now, I, I've been married for probably 7,485 days, and I will tell you that when I said yes to Eileen on our wedding day, and I said, I love you, the I love you that I said for her is different than the I love you that I said this morning. I did say I love you this morning. You were sleeping as I kissed your head and walked out, but um, if you don't remember, I love you. Now, the I love you that that is is very different than the I love you from 7,000 days ago, isn't it? You know, you know what that is? That, that's growth. And it's going to be different. What's behind that 7,000 days of experience that we have together? I, I remember when we found out Eileen was pregnant, we were going to have a kid, and I was like, oh, man, this is a lot. And all of a sudden, my first daughter, Kayla, was born, and my love somehow grew and I thought, I don't think it is possible to love a child any more than this. And then when Eileen told me she was pregnant again, I thought, oh no. I, I have given all my love to this first kid. I don't think I have any to give to this second kid. Has anybody else ever felt that before? Okay, like terrified with a second kid coming going, what do I do? How, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, when my son Jams was born... I found that my love grew and then 14 months later when my third uh, child was born I I, I couldn't believe it my love continued to grow and what I realized so quickly was that my love wasn't limited my love continued to multiply it wasn't being added on to it was being multiplied and extended and I just loved that it was like here we go here we go but I think what happens to most of us is we look at our life and think oh man I have this much love, and this is all that I have left to give. And if this is all I have left to give, I need to be very careful and measured about how much I share who I am and love the people around me and how much I can extend to love God and and Him because my love is limited. And this is one of those lies that I think the enemy tells us is, guess what? When you're born, you're born with this much love, and that's it. You don't get any more. That's it. When we do this, it impacts our ability to love people around us. We withhold the love that God has called us to give to the people around us because we're worried maybe they don't deserve that part of me or who I am. They don't deserve this right now. And the worst part about this is is the moment that we can determine someone else does not deserve to be loved, we are disconnected to God. And it impacts our ability to love and receive love from God. And so our relationship with God gets all messed up because, well, if our love is limited, then maybe God's love is limited. And if God's love is limited, who am I to receive that love? There's people way better than me. And I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth today. I'm reminded of the passage that Matthew had read for us today from First John where the Apostle John, he says to us, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love God does not know God. Why? For what? Read those three words with me. God is love. For God is love. Now, John does not put a limit on love and say, this is all that you have. He doesn't set some qualifiers. Well, these are the people that deserve to be loved, and these are the people who don't deserve to be loved. He just simply states that the difference between people who follow Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus is love. How we love shows if we follow Jesus or we don't. If you're here this morning and you were not a follower of Jesus. You're trying to figure things out. Someone invited you, and you're, you're, you're here today because you're exploring your faith, and you're not there yet. You're. Try- Let me tell you, I am so grateful that you're here, and what the Apostle John kind of holds uh, people accountable to, he is holding followers of Jesus accountable to, not you. So you are off the hook this morning. You can take a nice, deep breath and kind of be like, oh, whew. But I will tell you that I believe that what John says in relation to what Jesus says could have a bigger impact on your life than you would ever dream of. And so I would encourage you to to listen in because I think it's going to make a huge impact. If you're searching, I think this is what you're searching for. So John says there's a difference between those who love Jesus and those who don't love Jesus and those who follow him and don't follow him. And that difference is how we love. Anyone who loves is a child of God, and anyone who doesn't love is not a follower of God, right? It, it, it's, it's pretty simple. Why? Because God is love. He's not trying to make it complicated, and what we know about God is He is the truest definition of love. He actually demonstrates what love looks like. Just, just look at verse 9. It says, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. How did God demonstrate his love for us? By sending his son, Jesus, to do what we could never do. Because God, who is love, came to earth and took on flesh. This means that Jesus, being 100% God, came to earth, and he became the human embodiment of what love looks like. If we're ever curious of what does, a love, what does love look like for us, we look to Jesus and how he lived. This is what love looks like in the flesh. When he walked the earth as 100% man, he was living out a life of love because he is God. And so when it comes to measuring our love, we only have one man that we can measure ourselves against, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How am I growing in my love? We look to Jesus, because he is what love looks like with flesh on. He loved all of creation, with everything that he had when he walked this earth. And, and I will tell you, it's not like he separated his lover. He picked and chose who he wanted to love. And the worst part is, is that as he extended this love, he was not always met with that same love. When he met the hopeless, he brought hope. When he invited the outcasts and the people who were pushed aside and he brought them into community, he he walked around healing the broken. And those who were left pushed aside said, there is hope for you. When he did all of these things, do you know how often he was met with anger? He was met with accusations. He was met with frustrations. And, And he was chastised for what he did. That's not what people do. You see, the way that Jesus lived out love was extremely messy. It, it, it just, it wasn't neat and pleasant. It was hard. And when you read his biographies written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you, you know what you see in Jesus? You see him steady. You never see him in a rush to try to get to the next place, move to the next person. You, don't, you never really see Jesus run anywhere. When you read about him, what you see is him looking at every single person that he comes across in the eyes. He sees them for who they are. He, he lets this moment in time exist as this moment in time, not a wasted moment that's keeping me from what's next. Maybe, maybe that's because when he ran across people, he saw in them... What God sees is that is someone who's been created in my image according to Genesis. He created male and female in his image so that we are image bearers of God. And when Jesus stopped, what does love look like? It looks like seeing someone in front of you. Not rushing that moment. He saw in them oftentimes what they could never even see in themselves because that's what love does, doesn't it? He didn't write anybody off. And even when people disagreed with him, one of the things I love most about Jesus is he listened to them. He was attacked and he listened to those attacks. And then he always called each person to a deeper sense of, okay, I hear you, but how can we love God and how can we love people? I know this all sounds awesome, like, wow, Jesus, you know, who would want to hang out with Jesus and be with Jesus? The human embodiment of love, we all want this. And I will tell you that that is offensive to the world, that type of love. So offensive that they saw this type of love and people who experience hate, who are fueled by control and jealousy. The very people that Jesus loved were the very people who had him publicly executed in one of the most graphic ways. The sinless embodiment of love was hung on a cross, tortured. Love was beaten, mocked, spit on. And when Jesus died, when love was laid in the tomb, and the world thought we've killed love. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and it was all over. But you know why? It's because love cannot be conquered. Love cannot be conquered. On the third day, when Jesus rose from the dead, conquering the power of sin and death, which we just sang about, what he was doing was declaring definitively that hate cannot win. Hate cannot win because we are loved by God and we are supposed to be living out this love. And yet, so many of us are filled with hate. So many of us are filled with this control and this jealousy. And when I say that we are loved by God, I mean that we, that you, please understand please hear me on this. You are loved by God. You are loved by God so much that he gave his son so that you could be back in relationship with him It's because he longs to be in relationship with you and with me. Isn't that amazing? Nothing you can do can separate you from that love. No sin that you think you've committed. No thing that you're like, oh, but God, if your love is limited, then the things that I've done could never be covered. There's just no way. And God says, oh, I've already covered it. I've already given you everything that I have. Do you know why? Because that's what love looks like. You are that loved and I am that loved. Amen. Can you just say thank you to God? All right, that, yeah. Um, Maybe that's the thank you you got for like a crappy Christmas gift. You have been given the gift of life because of the depths of God's love. Is that not something to be thankful for? Can you just say thank you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I don't care who you are or what you've done. You are loved by God because you have been created with purpose. You have been created in his image. When you were conceived and being knit together, God knew you already. And he loved you in that moment. He sent His Son for you, not so that your life would be better or neater or more convenient, but He sent His Son for you, and He sent His Son for me, so that we might be forgiven of our sin, so that death would not have the last word and it would be defeated. It will have no more hold over us because death's goal was to stomp out love and it couldn't win over Jesus. And Jesus says this victory is yours. And then he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we could be filled with God. Just like we sang about, so that we would be conformed to his image one step at a time. We are not perfect. Amen? If you're new to Crossbridge, you're surrounded by some of the most messed up people you'll ever meet. (laughs) that's right, that's a bigger amen than thank you for salvation, it's we're messed up, we're messed up, and we know we're messed up, but you know what's great is God calls us to confession, and when we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he forgives us our sins, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, why? Because he loves us, and he wants to be in relationship with us, and so therefore, we don't have to hide our sin, we admit our sin, and he loves us through it, and it's so clear, if you follow Jesus, and you have given your life to him, when we continue to grow in our faith, love should be the evidence of that in our life. John is as clear as, you can, as, as it gets in verse 7. He says, Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. If you are not loving, I question if you know God. If you are not loving... I question if you know God. If you are not growing in your love, I will tell you that you are not growing in your relationship with God. If this does not cause us to stop and to evaluate and think, am, am, I, am I growing? Or have I not grown in my love for God and people? i don't know what will and i know i've said it before but i'm going to say it again you can love people and not love god but you can't love god and not love people i'm going to say it again for you just because i know it's, it's a little dr Seuss-ish, but this is one of those good amen moments okay when we go back and forth here you can love god or you can love people and not love god but you can't love god and not love people if you love God, you have to love people. This is the embodiment of love. This is what it is. Because as our faith increases, our love should also increase. If we aren't more loving now than when we first met Jesus, have we really grown at all in our faith? And I know some of you are probably thinking right now, like, maybe, maybe I'm a little more loving. I've grown in my love a little bit. Yeah, okay. But, but Pastor Jimmy, listen. Since I've met Jesus, I have read the Bible so many times. I've got this thing down in multiple translations. I can even read some Greek and Hebrew. I've got certain books memorized. I soap every single day. i got this down. I have studied some of the deepest doctrines, those old guys you always like to talk about. I've got very firm stances on my beliefs, and I know how to defend my faith against anything that comes at it. And I would say to you, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. We, we can sit down over lunch and geek out over certain passages together. Let's, let's talk about Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic things. I like that. Let's do it. But I'm curious what happens over lunch when we disagree with each other. Because in true Pastor Jimmy form, you know what I would do. i poke the bear. Right, i poke the bear. If we were sitting down to lunch, I'd be watching how you treated our server, especially if the meal came out wrong. It wasn't exactly what you wanted. I would be watching about how you treat your family while we're all sitting out there together. When your kids are disrupting and you want to get something across, how do you respond to them? Or to the family that sits behind you and does this thing? Like, you know, how do you respond? How are you going to treat me when we disagree? Is it gonna be a loving conversation where we're allowed to disagree? Is it gonna be filled with listening, with growth? Or is it gonna be filled with tension? Is it gonna be filled with aggression, accusations? Because maybe I wasn't converted to your way of thinking in the way that you saw that. I will tell you that I've had both of these types of conversations with people at Crossbridge. Conversations where we disagree, but I have never felt more loved, seen, and heard. And in the end, we didn't come to an agreement. It was an interpretation difference. And I have never felt more loved. And I've had the conversations where we disagree and I am left sitting at a table, mouth wide open, as I'm being branded as an ignorant heretic. Listen, just because we know a lot doesn't mean that we love a lot. You you can know all the things that there are to know, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be a loving person and I'm going to be a loving person. Just because you know all the things doesn't mean you're going to love all the things. And I can think of so many moments in my life where I was sure that I was right, I was positive, but my knowledge did not reveal itself in love. It actually came out like a hammer to people. I I really thought I was right. And they were wrong, and I was going to make sure they knew that. And if they didn't agree with me, then they were definitely way wrong and needed to conform to that. I used my knowledge in those moments. I'm confessing to you now, I have used my knowledge to build myself up and to tear others down out of insecurity. And I have learned the hard way of what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth, and you're going to read this this week as we soak together, where he says now about food, sacrifice to idols, and when he's talking about that, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles in the new church that's developing together, and they had issues with what kind of meat they were eating, if it was like sacrifice to idols, are they allowed to eat it, are they not allowed? And they really couldn't figure this out. And so he's like, listen, concerning that issue and that topic, Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something, and yet they do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Now, for those of us who like knowing things, this hits pretty hard, doesn't it? I love how Paul says, like, hey, we all know that we all possess knowledge, (laughs) Right? Almost like saying, yeah, we know how much you all know about this stuff. We know that you have studied it, that you have all this stuff. Uh, it's a shot at how, you know when some people flex their knowledge on stuff, and they're like, well, I was studying for 18 hours on that. And you're like, oh, that was cool, like a humble brag. You know, there we go. And, and then he nails them with it and said, you can know what you want to know, but let me remind you, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. He's not saying that we shouldn't have knowledge or that the study of the word of God is not important, but he's warning the church that a proud attitude towards another person is not the way of Jesus. A proud attitude towards any other person, that you are better than them, no more than them, and they have no hope without you. You are not God. This is sin. One of the most effective ways that I think we can grow in our love for God and in our love for people is actually by spending time literally studying the Word of God. This is the reason that we we soak together as a church. One of the reasons we try to go chapter by chapter through the Bible, and we've been doing this for a while, and let me just tell you one of the coolest things that happened this December is if you were with us in Uh, September of 2019, when we started reading the Bible together, chapter by chapter, uh, you know, the elders, the board, we sat down together and we were like, what's one of the issues that we're trying to address in the next couple of years? And it was like, we really want to make sure that everyone who comes to Crossbridge knows what's in the Bible so that at least if we disagree with each other, we're starting at that place. Because we recognize that most people who call themselves followers of Jesus don't really have any idea what's in the Bible overall. And you rely on what guys like me say, which is very dangerous. I already told you up front, this guy's a jerk sometimes. We have to do this study on our own. And so we started doing that. If you started with us in September of 2019 and you have stayed consistent, can I tell you that you have done what most other followers of Jesus have never done? You've completed reading the entire Bible together 66 books. How cool is that? How many of you jumped in with us? You started way back anybody jumping in? Oh, look at you. God, I love this. Um, You've read everything, even the hard books like Ezekiel, Isaiah, and you're like, oh, do we have to do that again? Yep, we're starting in 1 Corinthians right now. Why? And it's like, we got to read it again. I remind you of these things so that you may know the way of Jesus, right? We're always going to be going back to Scripture. We're always going to be learning from it. So we're still soaping. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to start Genesis soon. And if you really want to be like, what? Great, jump in with us. It's the origin story of Israel, and it's really confusing. Let's be confused together, amen. But this is what we do, right? We study the Word of God. Why? Because we want to learn to care about what God cares about. We want to learn to love like God loves. We need to constantly be learning to gain the essential knowledge of what's in God's Word. But this knowledge has to be rooted in love. Because that's what we're measuring, isn't it? We can measure the tests that we have, sure. Some of you, you you caught the worst tests as you were leaving middle school, high school, college, coming out of the last semester. Now you're back in it, and you're like, I don't want to do this. And we measure things all the time, don't we? Do you know your scales? Do you know the things that matter most? And you're like, okay, this is what i got to do. i got to get this done, that done. And we continue to say the measurements are important. The measurements are important. But how do you measure love? If we want to say, do I love people more, and do I love God more, how do you measure love? And the only test to answering that is to measure it up against the cross, is to measure it up against the person of Jesus, and we'll never know what love looks like if we don't read about what he does. When you hold your life up to Jesus, who is the embodiment of love, who demonstrated his love for us through a death on the cross— This is our measurement. Are you with me? And and this is what Paul reminds the church of in Philippi when, when he says this about Jesus. He says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. All right, cool. That sounds pretty simple, right? It's still hard to measure until you look at what is before this verse. Paul lays out what love looks like and what the attitude of Christ really was. He says this: don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This is what love looks like, Crossbridge. As we keep taking steps in our faith, we should find ourselves growing in love. A love that is humble, a love that is sacrificial, a love that is patient and kind, and it looks more and more like Jesus, willing to look to others' interests more than our own. This is the type of love that we are growing into. And instead of measuring our spiritual maturity or or the maturity of those around us by how much we know or how well we behave, what if we were measuring how we grew in love? And I want to end with just two questions for you that you can use, that I I like to use, that help me measure this as I look day to day. How am I loving others? And these are actually from a book by Dave Brenner called Soulful Spirituality. Um, I, I encourage you, write them down and refer back to them throughout the year. But the first question simply is, am I fully present or distracted? Right, Jesus, I told you, the embodiment of love, he was present with people even when others pushed him to hurry up, you got to get, he didn't. Every child, every woman, every man, every teacher, every prostitute, every outcast got his eyes. He didn't meet the disciples like for breakfast and spend time checking his phone to see what the rest of the agenda for the day looked like. He didn't keep looking at his watch. Oh, hold on. That's a text that just came in. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Technology has destroyed our ability to be present to each other. He stayed present. He was unrushed. He was undistracted. And I'm telling you, he lived in a culture of distraction. It's like, oh, Jesus would have checked his watch if he was getting texts. He was surrounded by people who clamored for his attention all the time. All the time. But we're in such a rush because our schedules are so packed out. I worry, how many opportunities are we missing to love people? because we can't stop we can't pause long enough in the last 12 uh, really 15 to 20 years real face-to-face conversations they're abnormal we don't sit for people sit with people for more than 10 minutes until we check something do something when you sit with someone can i encourage you to measure your ability to love them and presentness by how often do you check your phone how often do you respond to a notification or put at the to-do list on your list while you're sitting with them? If you have to add to your to-do list and what's next, you're not being present. And we need this type of connection so badly. We all need this. Uh, David Azzer- Augsburger, he says this about this type of connection. He says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. When it comes to measuring our love for others, simply ask yourself, am I being present? Or am I being distracted? The second question that I'll leave you with is, this one's harder, am I open or closed to being changed? Ugh. Jesus listened well to people who disagreed with him. He pushed back in areas absolutely. And and everyone thought his theology was wrong. It's great. But he never shamed any person who came at him. He never pushed them over, bowled them over. You know what Jesus' response when people came at him usually was? Questions. Questions. He asked them, why do you think this? What do you think it means? Tell me what you are feeling. I think that the questions and us being able to question people not to reveal that, oh, the see they're an idiot, but you question to learn where they are coming from, understand who they are, this is going to be crucial for us to have healthy dialogue and disagree well together. If we are closed to being changed at all, the best that we can ever hope for is a one-sided monologue. And this will affect the, the relationships that we have with people. We'll surround ourselves in an, an echo chamber of people who sound like us, agree with like us. And can I tell you what this does? Is it destroys your relationship with God. It erodes the ability for the Holy Spirit to change us and conform us into his image because we don't like change. We don't want to be wrong. And if we can't be changed, and we resist that, we will never grow in love. We have to be OK with this. We have to be able to have conversations with people that we disagree with without belittling them, without shaming them, without having to say, I agree complete with you, with you and affirm everything so that this isn't awkward. No. We're allowed to disagree. We are. We're supposed to. If you don't disagree with anybody, do you really have an opinion? Because God's given you one. Because you're created in his image and he has an opinion. Loving God means presenting the best of who you are and listening for the best of who they are. Find what you have in common. Encourage the people who are in front of you. Do not be the curser. Be the blesser. And even if they disagree with you, maybe, just maybe they'll go, you know, you can check out what they believe, and you could talk to them. I I know you won't agree with them, but they'll listen to you. And it was kind of encouraging when I left. Could that be said about you? Because that's a way to measure our growth. And this comes, are we willing to be changed? Can we be humble enough to be wrong? You will be wrong this year. Okay, let me just give you a prediction for 2024. You're going to be wrong somewhere, Okay. Can you admit to that and ask for forgiveness? Can you confess it and say, "I was off and Lord change me"? Ask for the people around you to help you change because when it comes to the end of 2024, it doesn't matter how much money you've saved. It doesn't matter how much weight you lost, how many books you read if you have not grown in love. All of those things are great, but they're not the most important thing. And so instead of asking, "What can I get done this year?" What if we entered into 2024 with two new questions of how can I grow in my love for God and how can I grow in my love for people? And then at the end of the year, actually what's great is we don't even have to wait to the end of the year because every single week we come back together. Why? To refocus on what matters most, to stop the, the circus, the, the world that we live in and say simply, Am I remeasuring up to Christ this week? And when we have failed, the gift is confession. And when we feel like we're growing, the gift is celebration. Communion is the celebration, the practice, and the discipline that brings us back to focusing in on Jesus. And that's why we do this every week, is to remind us, are we growing in this? And if you have not dedicated your life to Jesus, let me just tell you, Loving will be impossible to do genuinely because love does not live in you. When we submit our lives to Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit who enables us to love. Could you imagine what Crossford Bridge would be like if at the end of the year that was our questions? How will you love Giants fans today? I ask out of genuine concern here, (laughs) okay? How will you love Cowboys fans today? Yeah, see, that was even tougher. You're like, ugh. Mm. Careful. (laughs) This matters. And the last thing I want is for this to be so ethereal and it doesn't matter. Guys, it matters how you love your kids how you love your parents how you love your leaders how you love your teachers how you love your coworkers and more than anything else it matters how you receive and give the love of god if we're not receiving it we can never get it so we can't grow if we're not growing in our relationship with god grab a soap guide get into a small group not because these behaviors allow you to be more loving but they point you back to jesus over and over which is what we need amen let's be that church at the end of 2024 The church that's known as being one that grows in love and is a hot mess doing it, but we're doing it. Would you stand with me as we prepare for communion today? At Crossbridge, we celebrate communion every single week because we recognize the need to come back to the cross for everything. It's the center of all that we do. We end our services with it, so everything always has to point back to the cross. And if, at this point, as we prepare to take communion, if you have dedicated your life to Jesus and his teachings, believe he is the son of God who died and rose again, is ascended and seated at the right hand of God, and will return as our coming king, regardless of what tradition you come from, we invite you to take communion with us at our table, and it will be set up on the side if you are not in that place of following Jesus, I want to tell you, please do not take communion. This is something for followers of Jesus to do, but it's, it's part of a family to bring us back to Christ being the center. If you feel like there's a lack of love in your life right now that needs to be confessed, there's something that's off. I just want to give you a couple seconds in silence to just take some time to confess that to God because we can leave that as we take communion so if there's anything that's on your heart you feel like you need to get off to Jesus let me just give you that time thank you for your forgiveness Jesus this time, if you have followed Jesus and you follow him, I would encourage you, please go. You can grab a prepackaged communion or a cracker, dip it, bring it back, and we will eat and drink together.